And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck him up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Kavanagh, and with me as always, Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film, past or present, absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other, don't be crazy. Do not be crazy, Mr. Zach. I'm Zach Barry. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Hey, man, how's it going? Good. No complaints. Zero. Zero, Zero. complaints. I mean, yeah. I mean, I would love to be playing Ghost of Tsushima right now, but I'll take a break <laughs> to do this podcast. But some asshole <laughs> betrayed by his country. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the country he loves. Um, no, th- this is cool to uh, to actually be doing the StreamYard video feed while we simultaneously record the audio feed. So oh, yeah. Hi. I like Let's it. Hi. <laughs> Put that Mario pop down this with the bubblegum in the middle. This is what I do when I pop. Now you can see how I, <laughs> how I podcast the secrets out. I'm just like go. spinning the whole time and going like this. I'm in my, my coat closet and it's really warm in here. And I didn't think that quite through, but that's okay. We'll Does it be take good. you to Narnia? Oh, I wish. Okay. I can just reach through these coats right here and, and, and the white witch will be there. Yeah. Is, that, is it the white Thomas. witch or the white queen? Yeah. I don't know. Some angry lady that shaves lions for a living. I don't remember. <laughs> Cruella DeVille. There you yeah. go. <laughs> She's a real piece of work. She wears puppies, yeah. you know. I don't like her. Yeah. She got a sweet ride. A real a real whip, as it were. That's what they call cars. <laughs> <laughs> She's not like Indiana Jones with an actual whoopah kind of whip but you know that was a friends reference for you <laughs> i've seen like eight episodes of friends and one of them chandler goes whoopah <laughs> but that's neither here nor there what have you been watching recently i know i've been playing ghost of tsushima and i haven't really been watching anything but uh what what have you been watching well um i watched glory road the basketball movie on disney um, I watched Forgetting Sarah Marshall, and I love that movie. It uh, it still holds up. It is still hilarious. I think I quote it uh, probably a couple times a week, and uh, yeah, I think it is a gem of a film. Yeah, I still say like uh, Luau, <laughs> like when someone like Alex Wallace say something to me, and I'll Luau. go and I'll go Luau because <laughs> she thinks that's what it's called. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And she, it goes overhead every time I say it, but it's it's funny to me. Bill Hader's great in that movie, too. So funny. That is the mother to my unborn child. Do you want to <laughs> yeah. go there? Yeah. He's like, do you want to have this conversation? Do you want to have this conversation? Dick. And then uh, Kunu, he's really funny, too. Yeah. He's like, well, pop up. Well, you got to do, do less than that. <laughs> well, no, you got to do more than you that. You got to do more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's hey, funny. man, you're from Kaiser Permanente, right? <laughs> it's like, Ridiculous. No. Yeah. So, yeah, watch that. Um, I watched Justice League. Oh, man, that movie. I don't know. When I first saw Justice League in theaters, I didn't think it was that bad. I enjoyed it. And on rewatch, I really didn't like it. 
there was a lot to to hate about this film. And I think it was a poorly made movie. And I'm I think I'm just getting more and more excited for the Snyder Cut to see if they can redeem it. Because, you know, and I know you guys talked uh, about it on Geek Legacy, um, but it's uh, it's just interesting because I did not enjoy any bit of Justice League yeah, at all. Too bad. Oh, man. At all. Ah. Not even not even Superman came back. That was like my favorite part ever. I felt it was so forced. I felt um, it it was not authentic. I felt it was just weird. I don't. Well, I, I, I don't just know. mean Superman in general, not like that oh, part, but yeah. like you know how like when he's fighting all of them, and then Flash thinks he's all fast, and then Superman just kind of looks over and sees him. <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. I, I liked that. I, I okay, I'll give him one. And then <laughs> like when he when he shows cool. up to save the day and. And Batman just has a big smile on his face from ear to ear, like, oh, yeah, now now we're going to win. <laughs> That's kind of cool, I know, too. Pretty much. And when he's carrying the entire apartment complex and, and Flash yeah. has, like, got the truck and he's excited. And then Superman comes flying by with, like, the entire building in his hand. That's pretty cool. That's fucking <laughs> Superman right there. That's why Superman is the greatest hero of all time. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens with the Snyder Cut when we eventually get it, like, a year from now. And um, and yeah, and then I also so today I downloaded the TNT app. And let me tell you, I don't know if you have it or not. It is a horrible app. Uh, so I tried to watch. First of all, it looks really ugly. There's zero search feature in it. So you can't search for a movie. You have to physically scroll through the entire movie catalog in order to find something. So I tried to watch Red Dawn from the 80s. You know, Patrick Swayze, C. Thomas Howell, yeah, Charlie Sheen. Wolverines. <laughs> exactly. So bank. I, I, <laughs> I, know you, I know you're busy, but if you find time, <laughs> well, and I mostly wanted to watch it because I just watched uh, an episode of South Park when when the uh, elderly people get their license taken away and they it, they fully go Red Dawn status and all the parents are in an internment camp and it, they, you know, they're spinning off on Red Dawn. Anyhow, wanted to watch the original. And so have you seen it before? Yeah, I've seen it. I own it on DVD, oh, okay. but I was like, I'll, I'll try to find it on, on streaming. So I looked through on TNT and it's like, oh, sweet. Yeah, we have it, you know, starring Patrick Swayze, C. Thomas Howell, blah, blah, blah. And I click on it and it is the 2010 version or whatever with oh, Chris yeah. Hemsworth. And it. so I was I was livid. I'm like, I'm not watching this because I did not like the remake at all. I wasn't a fan. I don't like it. I don't want to touch it. I wanted me some C. Thomas Howell and some Jennifer Grey. But what are you going to do? And some Ali Sheedy. I think she's in it. No, she's not. Jennifer, yeah, she is. No, 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 no. I don't know. S- somebody's in it. There's another. There's another gal who's in it. Sure. Her sister, <laughs> Jennifer Grey's sister. There you go. Well, now, now I'm curious. Hold on. <laughs> it I might think be it's. Alice Sheedy. Is it? It's e- either her or it's like. Hold please. Elizabeth. Uh, no, it's uh, Leah Thompson. That's what I said. I, Leah I Thompson. mean, I can totally see how. You said Ali Sheedy, though, because I mean, Leah Thompson and Ali Sheedy might as well be the same person <laughs> in, the, in the 80s. I mean, I, I realize how insulting that is. But when you just think of all the different like Back to the Future and Short Circuit and fucking uh, Breakfast Club. Yeah, so. Samuel, yeah, all that crap. It's like it's just whatever. It's you white, you Ben Affleck. <laughs> That's right. You are white. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, and that's all I've been watching. What about you? Uh, I have just been playing the Ghost of Tsushima. So nothing um, else. <laughs> no, only because these this last week we are doing the whole Comic-Con at home thing. And so I was very, very busy with the work job uh, doing live streams and 
uh, selling my little heart out and uh, just trying to make for a successful event, which it was high fives all around. Uh, I just did not have time. And then uh, my gaming actually came late, you know, it came out last Friday and um, uh, like on the 17th, maybe. Um, And then my copy didn't arrive until the 21st, just in time for Comic-Con at home. So I did not have a moment to play until this last Friday. And I, I was so tired that I, I got past the intro to where I saw a title card, which is like maybe 15, 20 minutes into the game. And then I had to go to sleep. And then I played the game for like 16 hours straight once I woke up. <laughs> Couldn't put it down. Loved every second of it. Uh, still playing it. Not in any hurry to beat it. Um, I'm going to be talking about it quite a bit, though. Not Not today with you, but I just mean like... In the annals of history, I think that this game is going to go down as one of my favorites. Cool. That's a lot. I mean, that's that says a ton. So I will look to purchase it then. Yes. You know, I don't, Based I don't on buy many my games. Word, I know shit. Mm-hmm. It's a good game. I should go play it. <laughs> it's a good game. You should go play it. <laughs> oh, geez. But yeah, uh, that's pretty much it. Um, we are going to be doing Rear Window today. I'm very excited about this from 1954, Alfred Hitchcock movie. Um, you might know Mr. Hitchcock from such movies as The Psycho, they got Vertigo, North by Northwest, um, Rope, Birds, fucking Dial M for Murder, and a couple other ones. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of motion picture shows. He was a very busy man. Uh, let's see here. This movie was written by John Michael Hayes, who did the screenplay, based on the short story by, uh, what is that, Cornell Woolrich? Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. And uh, the film stars James Stewart, the absolutely drop-dead gorgeous Grace Kelly, Wendell Corey, which I always like the name Wendell, just throwing it out there. Not because of the song Mr. Wendell, but... Um, it's just a fun name. <laughs> uh, you got Thelma Ritter. You got Raymond Burr, who was the, I think he was the bad guy. Um, mm-hmm. And then lies. Judith, if you've seen Sir Silverman, Judith <laughs> Evelyn. <laughs> That's a funny movie. I love that movie. <laughs> Stealer, yeah. a best friend. Uh, I like it a lot. Steven's on. We got to get that I guy. I want a big Montana. Curly fries. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not getting you that. <laughs> They were throwing away some food at the Arby's, so I stopped by. <laughs> oh, jeez. Man, we were talking about Grace Kelly off off the air here, and she literally just exudes, um, you know, grace, just like her name. You know, she is 100% like old Hollywood. She just is like the epitome of old Hollywood and class, and I was just, I think enchanted is a really good word. As soon as she came on screen... I was just glued to my TV and everything that she had to say. And what's interesting about movies from the 50s and the 40s and, and the 30s, actually, where there's this sophistication in the way that the, the dialogue goes. You know, they they say words that we don't even use anymore. And and I really miss it. And it's so sad. And you know everything. You know all the words. The vocabulary is there, like in your brain. We just as people have just gotten dumber over the years and we don't speak like that anymore and there's definitely a a fun cadence to their speech and the word choices that they use do you agree i agree absolutely 
I don't know if you ever saw um, the Philadelphia story, but that movie is fucking dynamite too. It's so funny and it's so fast and so quick witted that it's almost hard to keep up and it is adorable and you should check it out whenever you get a chance. I had never seen it before. My buddy Brett's one of his all time favorite movies, just like rear window. And I saw it on a fathom events type showing mm-hmm. and, um, and I just enjoyed the hell out of it. So check that one out as well. Whenever you get a chance, Philadelphia story. Cool. I yeah. will. Uh, moving on. Critical reception. This movie here was obvious predates the Rotten Tomatoes, but it'll be fun <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> you is... mean they didn't have internet in 1954? <laughs> they did not. They had the papers. See, some little kid was on the box saying, hey, check out the rear window. They extra, got a 99% extra. with all the critics. <laughs> Their Rotten Tomatoes were actually like tomatoes. They're, yeah. they're rotten, see? <laughs> Bad. Uh, let's see here. It's at a 99% certified fresh via the critics, and you're looking at 95%. A whopping 95% from the audience score. I'd say that's pretty damn good. Yeah. I mean, at this point, if you're that 5% that doesn't like the movie, then you're just a piece of shit. Bye, fucking botch. <laughs> All right. Let's see what we got here. Mr. Michael Srargal from The New Yorker. S is probably silent, like the Django. Uh, We'll call him Ragal. How about that? It's one of Alfred Hitchcock's inspired audience participation films. Watching it, you feel titillated, horrified, and ultimately purged. Yeah. I'll buy that. Uh, Let's see here. Um, Time Staff. Fine folks over at Time. Just possibly the second most entertaining picture after The 39 Steps ever made by Alfred Hitchcock. I have never seen The 39 Steps. Have you? I've never no, heard I'm of not. it. Neither have I. Holy shit. The more you know. <laughs> uh, Glenn Lovell from San Jose Mercury News. Top critic. Throw that out there. Don't resist the urge. Steal a peek at it now and be reminded why Hitchcock is still without equal in the clammy thrills department. Yeah. There's something to be said about... We can call this either a psychological thriller, maybe even a horror movie for its time. Um, And and the first time you watch it, I think think you you could call that some clammy thrills. Get a little, uh, little anxious. And then we have Derwent May from Sight and Sound. Sounds like a film student reject. He says... Rear Window has a situation which promises intricacy and then fails to provide it. Wow. That was April 16th, 2020. Just watched it. What can you do? Clyde Glimmer. This is a good guy. McLean Magazine. He says, Suspense czar Alfred Hitchcock's latest in his best in years. It's funny, earthy, and chiller. Ooh. We'll end it on that. Not too shabby. No, not, not shabby at all. Yeah. Um, wow, is this real? A budget of estimated $1 million? I mean, that's $1954, so use your use your calculator, your magic calculator you had. <laughs> 16 uh, pence and none the richer. Sure, and then it looks like probably over the course of re-releases and what have yous, $36.7 million. Mm-hmm. I don't imagine how expensive, or I don't imagine it would be very expensive to go see a movie in the 50s. It's probably like 25 cents to go see a movie. Uh, or a nickel. 
and nickel. And you could get a moon pie afterwards oh. and a malted malted milkshake with your best gal. Yeah, now we're talking. <laughs> I don't know what a malt is and what a milkshake is. I don't know the difference. One brings boys to the yard. The other does not. <laughs> the other's for our grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got one of the malts with like the wooden spoon. That'd be great. There you go. You ever have those in those little cups and you with the with the lid that you tear off and you had a little wooden spoon? Yes, in middle school, we had a little school store for lunchtime where you could buy those slices of pizza, like Cheetos and stuff, but I'd always get one. Well, I shouldn't say always. I would get one probably like once a week and they were delicious. They're Dare Gold chocolate malts. And you had a little spoon, you ate it. Which is basically yeah. ice cream in a cup. <laughs> it's all it was. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know they gotta 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 get all fancy on us like yeah. that. Well a kid I mean you can get in trouble eating ice cream for lunch, come on. But if we call it a malt, then it could be something else. There's some nutrition <laughs> there. It's like a I beer. don't know. I don't get it. I'm sure it's science could explain what a malt is, but um, this isn't a science show. This is a this is a podcast about about murder and intrigue. <laughs> murder, you say. <laughs> all right. Trivia? You want to yeah. hear some things that'll blow your mind? Who so, is Alfred Hitchcock? What is Alfred Hitchcock? <laughs> Why is Alfred Hitchcock? Why uh, is Alfred <laughs> Hitchcock? So, despite big box office success and four Oscar nominations, the film failed to score a Best Pic- Picture Oscar nomination, any acting nominations, or most surprisingly, a nomination for the fantastic set design. Now, that is surprising because I really love the set design in this. And I think that is fascinating that they did not nominate it for an Oscar. Yes. Yeah. Very interesting. I was always curious what was on the other side of the building. Because you know how you only get that little peek of that yeah. alley through the alley that led to the Italian restaurant? Mm-hmm. It's like uh, the set of friends. It's kind of what it reminded me of. So um, the only movie in which Grace Kelly is seen with a cigarette, she refused to smoke in movies except for this one. Can you believe that? Mm, I believe it. Yeah. Cigarettes are gross. They are gross, but not her. They're deal breakers for me. No, I'd still. If you smoke, let, we can't be together. I'd let her smoke around me. Um, so all the apartments in Thorwald's building had electricity and running water and could be lived in. Huh. How about that? Give the actors um, something to do, I suppose. Pretty much. Have a glass of water. Um, all of the sound in this movie is diegetic, meaning that all of the music, speech, and other sounds all come from within the world of the movie, with the exception of the non-diegetic orchestral music heard in the first three shots of the movie. Did you notice that? I don't think so, no. Neither did I until it said it, but it makes a whole lot of sense. So cool. All right. Here is a good synopsis for you. So on a hot summer day in New York City, an eclectic neighborhood tenement is thriving. It's patrons full of ripe backstory and life. It is only when photographer L.B. Jeffries is immobilized at home by a leg injury does he notice the intriguing stories of the people he calls neighbors. With nothing better to do, Jeffries begins watching and naming his oddball neighbors out of his rear window, with each window offering a glimpse into another life. What started as innocent quickly becomes an obsession for Jeffries after he takes special interest in Lars and Anna Thorwald. Shit. Is it Thorwald or Throwald? I think it's Thorwald, right? I don't know. You tell me. It's (laughs) Thorwald. Thor, like as in the god of thunder, and Wald as in Molly Ringwald. (laughs) Thorwald. 
Larsen and a Thorwald. <laughs> After a stormy night and some questionable late night travel, Jeffries is surprised to see Anna is no longer at home, but Lars is still very much present. As Jeffries' suspicions of Anna's murder grow, he informs his girl Friday, Lisa, and old war buddy, now NYPD detective, Doyle, of Lars's actions. Detective Doyle dismisses Jeffries until he can gather more evidence. Lisa, Lisa Jeffries, and his caretaker, Stella, begin uh, taking much more interest in Lars's daily activities. Meanwhile, the tenement neighbors' lives begin to intertwine, unsuspecting of the potential murder that has transpired. The trio piece together clues by their continued voyeurism and eventually devise a plan to dig up a garden for evidence, believing that Anna is buried there. Lisa sneaks into Lars's apartment while he is away and uncovers Anna's jewelry, knowing that she would never leave it behind. Before Lisa can escape, though, Lars appears and attacks her. The police are quickly able to show up before things escalate to a much more violent setting, and Lisa is taken to jail, but not before she is able to show Jeffries that she found Anna's wedding ring. Lars notices Lisa's signal and sees Jeffries across the way. Stella leaves the house to bail out Lisa from jail, and Jeffries calls Detective Doyle, but Lars is able to find Jeffries alone in his apartment. Lars confesses the murder of Anna to Jeffries and attacks him. Using flashbulbs to blind him, Jeffries buys enough time for the police to arrive. During the scuffle, Lars is able to throw a limited a limited Jeffries from his rear window. As Jeffries holds on for his life, the police are able to arrest Lars. Jeffries loses his grip and falls, but his fall is broken by Doyle. Lars admits to the murder of Anna to the police, and Doyle apologizes for not believing Jeffries. Sometime in the near future, we are able to see the neighbors mingling with each other, apparently drawn closer and friendlier through the large event that transpired. Both of Jeffrey's legs are now broken as we see Lisa reading a travel book on his bed, knowing that she is Jeffrey's girl Friday. Lisa takes one last look out the window, reflecting on everything that happened. Lisa puts down the book and goes back to a fashion magazine, embracing her true interests. One may never know what they will discover if they don't simply look out of the rear window every once in a while. There you go. Yeah. So um, this was the first time I saw this movie. Uh, this is the second Hitchcock movie I've ever seen. Uh, I know about Hitchcock because I wasn't born under a rock or so. I might have been, but, uh, you know, Hitchcock is hailed as one of the greatest directors of all time. I don't think there's any debate about that. His stories, his filming conventions and his uh, his director's eye can be discussed at length. Uh, now, Mr. Cavender there, what is your personal view and experience with Hith with Hitchcock? Um, do you enjoy his films? Are there any bad ones? And what is your favorite film and why? Sure. Yeah, I like the Alfred Hitchcock there. Um, I, I haven't seen all of his movies. He's got he's directed like 70 something films, but at least I, that number six in my mind for some reason. Um, <laughs> Arbitrary. <laughs> numbers. Be less. Yeah, let's mix it up. <laughs> I don't know. Um, you can look into it while I answer this. Um, so I've seen a handful of movies there. Um, I've seen Marnie, The Birds, Psycho, Vertigo, Rear Window, uh, Dial M for Murder, and maybe a handful of others. But those ones come off the top of my mind. Uh, of all of the films of his that I have seen, I would say that Psycho is probably my favorite, and then Rear Window would be my next favorite. Why? Why Psycho? Uh, I don't know, man. I love it so much. I like the music. I love the the vibe of just paranoia that is taking over at the beginning when, when she steals the money she gets in the car she's having conversations with herself she thinks the cops following her um she's just on edge and i think that someone that would normally be a good person that got caught in the moment 
and is all of a sudden having this crazy guilt. Um, I just think that that's very relatable for a lot of people, and we get to see it on screen, and it's done very, very well. Um, and then just to the point where she's driving at night and you can't see, it's just pouring rain. We've all been scared on the like on a wet, slippery road before, and then just sort of seeing this beacon out in the distance that might be hope, and it ends up being her her doom. I don't know. There's something cool about that. And then it's it's basically two very different movies. You know, it starts with that whole tone in the first like 45 minutes and then she gets, you know, it's a red herring, right? She gets killed and you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> still half a movie left. And then, you know, unfolding this, this mystery of what happened to her. It's pretty incredible. It's a lot to yeah. digest, I'd say. And that's, I mean, and again, don't quote me on this kind of like your, your 76 movies or whatever, but <laughs> yeah, I, know. Um, I don't know where I got that from. <laughs> this is, this is uh Hitchcock did something quite amazing with psycho where he basically created the MacGuffin. The suitcase that she has was the MacGuffin where we were supposed to focus on this, but he completely takes a tonal shift um, and, and changes the plot completely by murdering Janet Lee in the middle of it. And you're like, wait, what the hell? We thought this was the main character. We were invested into her. And all of a sudden it's like, boom, she's not. Uh, I think that really pulled the rug from under people's feet. And I don't know if anybody really expected that to happen. So dude, I'm I, about a deuce, yeah. deuce and a half. And to pull the rug out from under my feet, that's hard to do. <laughs> It's triple digits, baby. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and just for the record, on the IMDb, the Internet Movie Database, powered by Amazon, it has Alfred Hitchcock directing 71 motion picture shows. Wow. Very good. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I shouldn't put it past you uh, to remember numbers, though. Pretty I good. know. I, I cheat. I, I, I have the numbers. <laughs> My friend Pat took a turn. Disway. Disway. Back back to the rear window. So, yeah. uh, holy shit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is, like I said, it's my second favorite Alfred Hitchcock movie. Uh, it's so good. Uh, I think all of us, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I know me personally. Uh, if someone has a window that's open, I'm going to look in it. If I'm walking <laughs> through an apartment building and someone's got the front door open, I'm going to look. I I remember my my second apartment in college. It was just this tiny little community. And uh, me and my now ex-wife used to just walk everywhere at the time. And I was always just peeking into windows and doors. And she would just go, Justin Cavender, and just like grab my arm. And I fell in love with her every time she said that. I thought it was so funny because I'm just sitting there like, hey, what are you, what are you guys doing in there? You got any food? Are you, you having some malts? You guys eating malts <laughs> yeah, in there? <laughs> every time. I'm just like, hey, what's up? Uh, I don't know what it was. It's just it's like their windows open and they want me to look. And so <laughs> it's so funny, though, because like at nighttime, uh, you know, if the lights are on inside, you can't see out. But people that are outside can see in. So I'm always very cognizant of that. I have my window, my blinds open in the daytime. But as soon as the sun goes down and it's fucking Jay Cavender after dark, I have to <laughs> I have to close the blinds, you know, before I hit the P-O-R-N-H-U-B dot com. There you go. I Taxi cab confessions. Yeah, I don't want anybody. <laughs> No peeping toms around here, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. um, I do think that that is fascinating. And and he's got nothing else to do in this movie. He's in the wheelchair, he's in his cast, and and he's just sitting around looking at, at this, this real-life movie happening right in front of him. I mean, who wouldn't look? Mm -hmm. I think that you know, is really... a very... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, sorry, sorry, continue. I was just going to 
say something. Oh, I, I just think that from a, a social experiment perspective, most I want to say most people would probably do the exact same thing. They would they would get to know their neighbors through these little snapshots of what's going on in their lives and come up with your own little theories and maybe even your own little names for everybody. <laughs> I would totally do that. Moly, I have done ba- Moly, Baldy, sugar boobs over there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is Baldy. <laughs> Baldy. Beardy. Uh, yeah, it'd be great. Beardy, yeah. No, um, I'm glad you said that because uh, so the main plot device of this film, it stems from Jimmy Stewart's character, Jeffries, uh, his isolation, and it's forcing him to watch his neighbors and as they're as they live their completely different lives. Uh, so the term peeping Tom has a negative connotation in our society. And uh, you may have been considered a peeping Tom there, Justin. But, yeah. uh, you know, a, a good majority of people, even though they don't want to be called a peeping Tom, uh, I think a good majority of people in the U.S. can qualify as a uh, looky lose because I think I think you're absolutely right. I think a lot of people really just are curious and just want to look into windows for lack of a better term. But uh, what is our obsession with um, people watching? I'll call it. Do you think this is why reality TV has become so popular? And are we all just really bored in actuality? <laughs> I, I think it's a form of, es- of escapism, right? We, we, have our own lives, our own problems, our own issues. And just like when we watch a movie or play a video game and we just get to escape from our reality, whether it's good or bad, um, we just get to kind of see what the world is like in someone else's shoes, or at least our, what our perception is. And I think when it's real people, it's, it's elevated to a new level. Uh, with reality TV, so much of it is is fake and scripted and steered a certain way because there's producers pulling the strings to make things happen. You know, you can't watch fucking hell's kitchen and not hate a specific character because the casting person was like, well, that guy's a real tool and a piece of shit. So let's have him on the show. (laughs) And even though he's not talented, we'll keep him on until, you know, top four or something like that, just to drive the audience mad. So um, I do think that there is some sort of a heightened elevation of like of intrigue when it is real people because because it's more relatable that way sure it's fun to watch grace kelly do her thing on 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 tv but if someone set up cameras all over this neighborhood and you got to watch like a straight up truman show sort of thing i think a lot of people would be glued to that just to see uh like a peek into other people's lives do you think that's harmful though because um I mean, I, I look at I, I, I get what you're saying with reality TV, but I think when reality TV started out, they did have legit actual people on it. But then, you know, obviously things like MTV, uh, I guess you could say. Yeah, you got seven strangers picked at random to live in a house, right? Sure. True story. Um, <laughs> like and, in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. No, and totally. no matter what. And no matter what, I mean, there are people who are going to it's going to shape the way that they view people. And so I think that the most glaring um, example I can use is all this true crime stuff. And you and I have talked about that before, but I think that it has created. Whether or not it's good or bad, a sense of everyone's a killer. Um, I need to look out the window because I may witness a murder, not that extreme, but I need to see what's going on. And uh, it's 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 unfortunately slightly harmful because I think people are making assumptions and I think there's a danger in that assumption. Sure. But so there's, there's a line in the movie where, where 
Jeff is talking to Lieutenant Doyle and he says, you mean, you mean you can explain every strange thing that's been going on over there and still going on. And Doyle has this amazing response where he says, no, and neither can you. That's the secret private world you're looking into out there. People do a lot of things in private that they couldn't possibly explain in public to which Lisa says <laughs> like killing their wives, which I think is really funny, but uh, it's true. Uh, you know, the whole idea of when, um, there's an experiment going on and someone knows that 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 they are in an experiment the behavior changes right if mm-hmm. it's if you're watching them and they don't know they're being watched then that variable isn't doesn't exist uh, which is fascinating so in his case he's just sitting on the balcony and he's watching people in these private moments things that they have no idea people are watching and um, and it's it's heartbreaking especially with like with miss miss lonelyheart where she has conversations with people at the dinner table that aren't even there. She's she's fantasizing about being in a relationship. And then, you know, she she throws herself out there. She 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 tries to get involved with people and it doesn't work out. She's uncomfortable or she's not ready to move on. Who knows what her whole story is um, to the point where she's practically ready to kill herself. And she's just it's so sad. And and it's it's so crazy that that could be happening on the other side of the wall next to you, you know, you live in an apartment building, right? Who knows what's happening on the other side of that wall. Someone could very well be, be either living their best life or just being, um, you know, downright suicidal and they want to hurt themselves. It's it's, there. Everyone has their own little world. And, and to get a peek inside of that is, is, is yes, it's an invasion of privacy, but it's also really telling about yourself. You know, like you could literally see, you know, what it is that is, it, it can be enlightening in some ways, like, or eye opening. You could see that it's not all about you. It's, there's, there's someone next to you. There's a person next to you and they might be in need. And, and it's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I think, and I think that kind of answers a good amount of this one that I was going to ask, but, um, you know, after, after the little dog dies, the uh, woman on fire escape, she yells out, um, this and I quote neighbors like each other. They speak to each other, care if somebody lives or dies, but none of you do. I mean, at this point, you know, she was screaming, everyone's looking out their windows. Um, Lars is smoking a cigarette in the dark, but, uh, Justin, how important is it to actually know your neighbors? Should we be concerned for our neighbors' well-being and pay closer attention to their day-to-day lifestyles? Uh, at what point does a person need to focus on themselves instead of those around them? And are you friends with your neighbors? And I think you kind of answered a, a good majority of those. But, um, you know, like, sure, are, are sure. you friends with your neighbors? Uh, these ones that I have now, I know them and I know what their jobs are. Um, and if the neighbor on the right side of me uh, all of a sudden I don't smell smoke in my backyard, then I'm going to assume that they are either dead or out of town because they're just always outside smoking. Um, so like as far as behaviors go, I'd be like, wow, it doesn't smell like cigarettes for some reason. I hope they're okay. And then do a welfare check. But um, when I lived in an apartment, totally, I, I knew who was above me, below me and left and right of me. Um, just in case I would either, um, you know, dog sitting for them or uh, through just casual chit chat. If there's ever some sort of uh, apartment complex like mixer where, you know, it's like, hey, come down to the fucking office and have ice cream or whatever. Has some malts. Um, you know, I would go, <laughs> you know, just as a as a manager at a local retailer, just to kind of communicate with my community. Like, hey, yeah, I work at this Target or, hey, I manage the Staples, whatever the case may be, um, just to kind of get 
some sort of business out of it, you know, not necessarily in your face solicitation, but through conversation and get to know my neighbors. But, um, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good at networking, so, uh, I don't expect that of everyone. <laughs> I'm just mm-hmm. that kind of guy. <laughs> um, but you know, it's so funny cause I, it's almost impossible for me to relax. I don't know how to do it. It's just not something I'm capable of doing. And I will be in my jeans until like one in the morning. And Alex is like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, well, I got to be ready. There's a fire. (laughs) She's like, what is going on in your head? You know? (laughs) And so like, sure enough, one time it was like fucking, it was like almost midnight and a fire alarm goes off and I'm just out of bed. And I'm like, ready. I'm sitting on top of the sheets, you know, I wasn't like in bed. I was just sitting on it and I'm in my jeans and I'm like, fuck yeah, dude, it's, it's my time. And I just go outside. I check on everybody, make sure everyone's safe. And uh, it was so funny. I'm like, see, there was a fire and I was ready. <laughs> not going to be that asshole outside of my fucking Aquaman panties waiting for the fire truck to arrive. I'm ready. Go. There you go. I mean, yeah, I think I think that it's it's important to kind of know your neighbors. I mean, I don't need to know every aspect of their lives. Uh, and I'm uh, I'm on the bottom floor and our building isn't like a tenement where we have this giant square where we can watch things. But I mean, I definitely have been more akin to doing it now with a uh, quarantine and working from home. I'll look out my window and I'll see my neighbor. And I'm like, what are they doing over there? Are they using our dumpster? Oh, they can't be using our dumpster. But then I'm like, no, I should probably not worry about that. Cause that's I not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> I think you took this guy's wallet. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I mean, I know my my upstairs neighbors. I know pretty much all the neighbors in the building. I'm kind of like the super of the building, except I don't do any maintenance. I've just been here the longest. <laughs> so uh, it, it is it is important. But I do think that I try to mind my own business. Um, and I'm I'm with you. I walk through and I and if I see a window open, I'm going to peek by on my neighborhood walks through through where I live. You know, our runs. I'll look through windows. I'm I just carry curious binoculars on what people have. everywhere I go. I carry a giant lens on my DSLR. <laughs> the trick I... is to have some sort of book on birds. So people, <laughs> you can be like, no, no, birds. Check bird watching. Oh. Bird watching. But yeah. Bird. <laughs> um, Bambi enthusiasts out there. For all you ornithology um, majors. Yeah, all, yeah, ornithology there. So, uh, Justin, now we have discussed exposition in film before, and uh, I think it's fair enough to say that you and I both appreciate when a director treats his audience like intellectuals. Uh, the way that <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes I like to just be told everything, but for the most part, I like to I like to see it unfold and figure it out. But yeah, the greater good, the greater good. Uh. <laughs> The way that Hitchcock presents the story to the viewer is by delivering the information uh, to the viewer the same way that Jeffries receives it. And I'm specifically talking about Rear Window. So we see everything unfold uh, as as Jeffries. We are with him. We are the embodiment of him. Uh, was Hitchcock a master of exposition? Uh, were there any plot points that you didn't get or that you didn't see? And then uh, what would you have liked to see done differently, if anything? Yeah. Um, so I do think that in the case of this movie, it was done very well where we see everything in one long sort of shot. And then whatever we saw, a conversation then takes place to digest the events that transpired uh, to where they can sort of connect the dots. And we're doing that with them. So it very much felt like we were either a fly on the wall or part of the conversation. It was a little bit of both. And uh, which I really appreciate it because uh, points that you might be making in your head since this is the first time you saw it, 
this was the first time you saw it, right? Yes, that is correct. Yeah. So, you know, you're seeing things and you're looking. It's like when you're playing the game Clue and you're trying to figure shit out. Um, you're <laughs> basically uh, getting your, uh, you know, your thoughts uh, like reaffirmed by their conversation, which is really nice. So you're like, oh, yeah, this could be happy. Or maybe they brought up a point that you might have missed. Um, so the, and they're just spitballing. They're trying to theorize. At first, you know, they're just kind of trying to play devil's advocate to 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 Jeff. And, um, once they kind of see it, it's hard to convince themselves. Otherwise automatically now he's guilty. Now we got to prove how he's guilty. Um, whereas the cop is more the grounded person and trying to dissuade them from exploring these ideas, you know, get that, get that idea out of your head, you know, and, and something to the effect of where he was like, women's intuition has, you know, led me on, you know, several wild goose chases, you know, and um, it's all a fun theory kind of stuff and uh, very 1950s. Right. <laughs> and uh, mm. um, I thought that was really clever because uh, we needed we needed the detective to be able to play devil's advocate so we could come up with the hard evidence. And I really like that. And I really, really I think it was my favorite aspect of the film because going into it, you know, knowing knowing about it, um, all I really knew about it was that it was really good according to everybody. Uh, and it was about a guy who sees a murder happen. And then I just didn't, I mean, that's well, he all doesn't see the murder happen. He just has right. to figure the, out what happened, but that's what I assumed it was about. And so, mm-hmm. but watching it, knowing that he didn't see it and gotcha. you find little, little nuggets. So like when he wakes up in the middle of the night and he hears a scream and he kind of looks around, doesn't see anything, but then he falls back asleep. Um, the, it's not him narrating things for us. It's, it's, Hitchcock treating us as intellectuals. So, you know, when he gets, when Jeffries gets his camera and he zooms in and you can see um, Lars is wiping down his suitcase and he's hanging up his jewelry, we're able to come to our own conclusions about things. And hopefully they're in line with Hitchcock because he's, he's on the nose with, with how he's making them act, but he's not giving a, a voiceover explanation or anything. Jeffries isn't explaining stuff to us. It's really, really cool. And even with uh, Miss Torso, the, the ballerina girl, when she's entertaining those three guys and then steps outside with that older guy kind of looks around and then kisses him, you know, and then the other two guys are upset. Obviously there's some drama going on there. Obviously she's a wanted woman uh, by these men. And uh, we see so much going on. And like with the newlywed couple, you know, it carries them through the threshold. But uh, I, I thought it was very, very smart with how he he presented this film. And I think it was paced beautifully. Um, I really, really enjoyed all of the uh, the the camera angles where it looked like a lens and almost like telescope. Mm-hmm. And um, that, I, I, it was just really neat. It was um, I was really kind of like vicariously living through Jeffries. One of my favorite things is when someone is looking through binoculars or a camera because uh, they're watching somebody, but when the person being watched sees that they're being watched, it's like my favorite thing ever. Like when they like, maybe they don't see him, they lost him, and then they find him and they're fucking staring right at him. And it's like, oh my god, that's a good trope. Because then you're caught, yeah. right? You're like, shit, I'm the asshole. That is a good trope. Yeah, I love that. That's always so nice. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that's what you get. 
So, um, you know, they say that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And uh, we have seen Hitchcock's work borrowed in multiple works since their inception date. Uh, the, the two that come to mind are an episode of The Simpsons, uh, Bart of Darkness. Bart breaks his leg when he's trying to jump off of a tree into a swimming pool. And he very much becomes Jeffries in a wheelchair with a cast. And he thinks he witnesses a murder uh, over at the Flanders residence. And then he actually sends his sister, Lisa, no pun intended that, um, or no coincidence there, right, uh, over to explore. And then um, we also see it in the 2007 movie Disturbia, which is not a shot for shot remake of it, but it definitely takes uh, takes some inspiration from it. Uh, but those are two glaring examples, sure. you know, or the burbs. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw that. With yes, actually, absolutely. And, and so I was thinking of that movie while I was watching this, but I forgot to write it down. Um, and the burbs is a really uh, another really good example of it, too, with uh, all this curiosity. And we think something's going on, but it's, you know, we have to investigate it ourselves. Yeah, uh, we're little but, uh, detectives. We are little junior detectives. But <laughs> where's um, my spy you know, camera? Speaking of Simpsons, <laughs> where's my spy camera? <laughs> Um, we seem to ask this question a lot, but are you okay with remakes uh, or borrowing from uh, the well-made films of Hitchcock? And, you know, how do you think an audience would perceive a remake of Rear Window? Uh, well, I mean, as an audience member that saw Disturbia in the theater, uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun, uh, but I'm a sucker for horror thriller remakes. I think that um, it's just fun to kind of relate to a younger audience and um, in this particular case, um, you know, it's it's fascinating when you're watching how he's trying to understand what's going on in that apartment where he's like, oh, he's making a long distance call. Right. Yeah, that was weird. Not a lot of people know what the hell. I mean, young kids wouldn't even know what a long distance call is. It's like, um, hello, operator. I want to make a person to person call long distance. And, and that doesn't mean anything to anybody. Yeah. Um, Rotary phones and such. Yeah. yeah a phone book. Like, I mean, like <laughs> yeah. Google, like what the fuck is that big book? Isn't it's that like movie a, with Colin Farrell or something? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, a phone book is literally like a printed version of the Internet when you're trying to find something. <laughs> right. And yeah. so it's it's fascinating. And uh, and I just find it remarkable that, um, you know, something in like Disturbia where it makes it more relatable, where he's tied to being home because he's on house arrest. Right. He's wearing like that that little anklet thing that says he can't leave his property. Uh, so he has to have his, his not girlfriend do all the spying for him, you know, and uh, it just adds this extra element of, of uh, what is the word? Like um, conflict, right? Yeah. He could just go over there and save the day, but he can't because of the police will come. Um, so I don't know. That's interesting. And like the burbs, you know, that that's more of a comedy than anything else, right? That's a funny movie. And, uh, and it's a lot of fun because when you think about it, you know, what, what is crazy is crazy going out and mowing your lawn every week, going to work, doing the nine to five, being a robot, having this routine. There's been days where I'm like, pretty sure I brush my teeth, but I don't remember doing it, but I'm such a <laughs> robot that I take a shower, I brush my teeth, you know, I shave, I do all these things. Yeah. And it's become such a routine that I get lost in it. And then I sit in a commute for two hours one way and then two hours back. And, and to me, that's insane. Uh, so it's like, so what they keep to themselves, you know, like they make all these points in, in the burbs of, of what is crazy. And, um, you know, that's it's fascinating from a from a human study point of view. 
And so uh, very much uh, a fan of the remakes. I mean, the very idea of the screenplay is based on a short story. So he's basically remaking it. It's a really good idea. If it's a good idea and you can put your own spin to it, then by all means, sure. go for it. And I, I mean, I would just after seeing this, I was so enamored by it. And I would honestly probably call it one of the best thrillers of all time, um, film wise. And I just I think it was an uh, amazing idea. Um, I know, you know, he borrowed the screenplay, but um, or the story, I should say. But I still it didn't take away from the fact that me seeing it was something that I'm like, holy shit. Like I've seen this. People try to uh, imitate this, but seeing it in, in all of its glory, it just it worked so well, even for being a film from 1954. And there was some color grading issues and whatever. Right. But and then and that, then when the, the speed, when everything's fast forward, the, that was weird. Yeah, that, that, that weird. was weird. Takes yeah. you out of it. It, it it's it detracted me a bit, but luckily it was only at the end. But uh, other than that, I mean, it was I was so enamored by it. And I think that I mean, we I, me being that detective with Jeffries was so cool because we're just, you know, we're, we're trying to uncover the truth. And, and the entire time I'm like, maybe he's wrong. Like maybe Jeffries is just paranoid and he has nothing better to do. So. It's right. So that's the M. Night Shyamalan version where he's just a crazy asshole and the guy didn't kill his wife. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that would be interesting, too, where she really did get on a train. And the guy goes through a lot of trouble to prove that, you know, like I have an alibi of sorts. Uh, He just he, he needs to understand the female perspective to where Grace Kelly's character comes in and says she would never leave her jewelry, you know, um a smart person would have put that stuff away with it. But I mean, he probably wants to sell it. I don't know if, it, I don't think it's like a trophy or anything. I think he just needs it for, for money. Cause he has all the jewelry. Yeah. And I, I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't have thought of that. I mean, it would have been an entirely different film if it was just Jeffries who was, who was dealing with it. But when he got Stella and Lisa involved, you know, they were a voice of reason or compromise to him. Yeah. Stella was great. So, She's one of Stella my favorite was, characters. She was really good. I liked her a lot. She was funny. She was like his surrogate mother, basically. Do you have a favorite line from the movie? Just out of curiosity. Um, oh, I like I, this might have been one of my more favorite ones. When Jeff is like, he tells Stella, would you fix me a sandwich, please? And she goes, yes, I will. And I'll spread a little common sense on the bread. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. She had so many good little one liners. And, and uh, yeah, no, I liked her a lot. Um, very, you know. Uh, sibling style or motherly style relationship. And I, I think it was, it was really, really neat to see that unfold, but yeah, she's great. So um, with the resolution at the end of the movie, um, you know, we see all the tenants uh, kind of grow from, from the characters that they were. Cause now it's important to note that they never really interacted with Lars face to face, nor did they interact with Jeffries. Uh, they weren't aware of all of this transpiring. They just continued to live their normal lives. But as viewers, we were shown uh, little snippets of of what was going on, even though Jeffries was still uncovering everything about Lars. So we were detracted a bit from the main uh, plot line to focus on others. Um, you know, so at the end of the movie, the the neighbors who on the fire escape who owned the puppy, they or who owned the dog, they get a new puppy. Uh, Miss Lonely Hearts and the songwriter meet up and sparks some sort of um, uh, assumed relationship. And then Miss Torso greets her husband or boyfriend or whatever he is back from uh, the military. So we see the neighborhood grow as characters. What do you think was Hitchcock's message? If he had any message in this film, what do you think his message was? 
Uh, I mean, for me, it was just life goes on. Like, uh, you know, at the, at the end of the day, we, uh, the show must go on kind of thing. Like, um, we all like this one horrible thing happened, but tomorrow we're going to forget about it. And we're going to go on with our lives. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's pretty spot on. Um, I mean, I it's just like when you look on Twitter and like all of a sudden, um, you know, you still see on your feed arrest the cops that killed Breonna Taylor. Right. And it's like, it's not covered in the news anymore. You have to be reminded mm-hmm. like, Hey, this, this happened and no one's talking about it. Everyone's, right. you know, gone on with their lives and that's, that's a problem. So I think it's just kind of shows like here, they were literally living feet away from a murder and they're too caught up in their own lives to really give a shit at the end of the day. <laughs> life goes on. <laughs> what am I going to do? Dwell on this? No, I'm going to go live my life. And, and it's not to say that they're bad people. It's just pe- something can happen right across the street from you and you might not even notice because you're so distracted with your own problems. You're in your own little world. And um, I mean, that happens all the time. And it's like, you know, someone commits a crime. There's 20 people standing around. No one saw a goddamn thing. Right. Cause I was busy on my phone or I was talking to this person. I was talking to that person. Um, or maybe they even thought that someone else is going to deal with it. That's why like when, when someone's in, when there's an emergency, you got to point to someone and say, you, you call nine one one. Otherwise they're just going to assume that someone else is going to take care of it. Yeah. We're just, it's just the way we're wired, man. We fucking suck. Yeah. And, and to like their credit to the neighbor's credit, they all pretty much had something going on. Like what you're saying, uh, Jeffries was just so observant and obsessive with Lars that he, that was his thing going on. Um, And so some of it derived, yeah, some of it derived from his boredom where, you know, Miss Torso is preparing for a, a ballet dance or whatever and juggling her affairs, um, the Miss Lonely Hearts is struggling to try and go on a date or so we assume it's a date um, and then contemplate suicide with pills. And then, you know, the songwriter looks like he's had a rough day. Hitchcock, which I don't know if you noticed that cameo by Hitchcock in that, too, but um, he apparently probably didn't like his song or something. So he comes home pissed drunk, but then has a party. So it's just kind of like they all have their own things going on. And I think. Hitchcock is basically saying what you're saying. Like, this is a big world and there's more than just this one thing and our lives will go on <laughs> no matter what. Uh, but one really interesting thing that I kind of gathered from this and I, I had an idea of it, but I explored it by watching some videos and reading articles. Uh, there's a theory out there that Hitchcock actually thinks or, or um, some critics think that this is a love story that uh yes it's a mystery it's a thriller but there's a big element of of a love story in this do yeah, you i mean do you, absolutely do you think so? absolutely i mean because i was going to say that he could take it a step further that even jeffries was too concerned with his own life to even stop for a second to think about this wonderful person that is in his life that wants to settle down with him he is too distracted with with work with going with going back to work with his magazine with 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 travel that he's too occupied to settle down with, with Lisa Fremont. And that just blew me away. I mean, how many of us are so consumed in our own lives to where we don't even notice the thing that's right in front of them. And it's, it's remarkable and it, it can ruin a lot of relationships. Um, I mean, he was practically breaking up with her the whole like first 20 minutes of the movie. Mm -hmm. 
And, it takes uh, it takes her to be in peril for him to really see what he has. Absolutely. You know, when, when she's in danger, he's like, holy shit, I care about her, which is, it's a shitty thing, but I'm glad he came to his senses. Yeah. You know, because because her love is very much one sided uh, in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And we we see different aspects. I mean, not every aspect of a relationship, but but the main tropes. So you have the newlywed couple who live across the way that they just moved in, you know, ripen in love and everything. Then you have the uh, promiscuous ballet dancer. And I'm just going to call her promiscuous because we just see different gentlemen suitors there. You have the arguing couple. And I don't know if you noticed a little part when Anna um, Thor's. Thorswald, uh, she, Lars brings her, Thorwald, football's day, (laughs) brings her breakfast in and she looks at the rose and then throws it on the bed, you know, after he cut it. And I'm like, this lady, man. So, um, like there's that. Then you have the Miss Lonely Hearts who clearly is, is battling some depression and, and things of a past relationship to the point of where she wants to take her own life from it. It's uh, it's it's just very, very interesting. And there's a quote that I found. Um, I can't find the, the author, so I apologize, but it's from this schmoop.com. <laughs> and it says, I don't know. Um, it just says that that one of the one of the writers um, who watch rear window, he said that all of the lives Jeff observes from his rear window have one common denominator. They all in some way reflect different aspects of love and relationships. They all have a bearing on Jeff's view of love and marriage. Um, and, and, and they're right, but, and, and you're right, you know, like it's, it's, it's crazy that it takes this to, uh, for Jeffries to see Lisa for, for who she is and how much she absolutely loves him. Right. That's just it. Right. So like he's spending all this time looking through binoculars and this lens and he's too occupied to see what's right in front of him. In this case, Lisa. And, um, and it was, it was interesting to me maybe because I wasn't born in the fifties, why it was such a big deal that she was staying the night uh, and why Doyle was making it a big deal. Like, did you notice that when she mm-hmm. had her, her, her pajamas and he's like, did you tell the landlord? I'm like, dude, he's an adult. He can have whoever he wants over. But right. I, I don't know the rules for that. But I mean, they, they, they purposefully made, made that a, um, a faux pas. Yeah. Yeah. Cause and, remember and, in the fifties and the sitcoms, they had two separate beds. And, you know, like Lars and, and Anna Lucy. had it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so okay. it's like, that's just on film. It was wasn't done that way. <laughs> <laughs> I hear they're holding hands now. <laughs> yeah, even Hank and Peggy Hill have separate mattresses, but they're pushed together because she likes her mattress firm and Hank likes his extra firm. <laughs> there you go. Um, I didn't know that. The but, more uh, you know, the more you know. Uh, so so yeah and it's interesting i mean because the the final shot we see of lisa is her in a relaxed state with jeans on and a shirt not a big fancy dress like always so it's she's way more casual and she's reading a book about hiking through the himalayas which jeffrey's that's what he does he's a photographer he's he puts on combat boots and, and cargo pants and walks around and whatever and so you can elude that she's ready for that adventure and she kind of says that to him but you know as she looks at him and he's asleep puts the book down picks up her fashion magazine and is like she's never going to really escape who she truly is so i um which is a very successful uh salesperson and socialite like she has the entire city eating out of the palm of her hand she is a very successful businesswoman and uh very smart and um you know in in his own words you know uh, better than him and he better than what he deserves. Totally. Which, which totally is, agree. which is interesting for a lot of people. You know, there, there are a lot of, a lot of folks out there that 
that uh, have confidence issues or, you know, their own self-doubt. And when they are maybe first meeting somebody or in the courting stages might feel that, you know, that person is too good for them, which I always find uh, remarkable. We are so many, so many of us sell ourselves short when this I've, person I've sees your qualities. Issue. Yeah. See, yeah. I mean, someone else sees these qualities, but if you don't believe in yourself, then it's not fair to believe that for another person. I ain't got no qualities, man. All I got are jokes. You'll get no argument from me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So, um, I mean, that, that's all I really have on it. This was the first time I've, I've seen it, like we said earlier. Uh, and as, as far as like a letter grade for this movie, um, I give it an A plus. I think it was absolutely phenomenal. Now, I you sent me a link to, to purchase it and the link didn't work. So um, I oh, do really? want to, yeah, I do want to purchase this, um, but I kind of want to wait and shop around a little bit and see if I can maybe find like a Hitchcock pack with, I don't know, like his 10 best films or something, because I, I think this one was just so brilliant and I, I would love to rewatch it again to analyze things. A lot of great color usage. Um, I, I, I think, you know, the background was amazing. The set design was amazing and uh, yeah, really, really love this film. Thought it was fan freaking tastic. So. What about you? Do you have anything else to add? What letter grade would you give it? Uh, I'd give it A. It's a good movie. I like it a lot. How did you watch it? Do you own it? Yeah, I own it. I bought it off the link that I sent you. <laughs> I don't. It didn't. It didn't work. I don't know. Uh, so the mm. the website is like uvspider.com. and then mm. from there you search, and I searched Rear Window to where it then took me to a a a website that allowed me to purchase it for eight dollars. That's a good deal. That's better better than fifteen dollars on on iTunes and everything else. Yeah, right. or Apple TV is what they call it nowadays. So I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's gone. It's always it's always shady when you buy codes online and you try <laughs> and try and beat the system. But um, yeah, it was it was uh, it was for a voodoo code, a movies anywhere voodoo code, and it, and it worked out. Nice. I like yeah. that voodoo there. Not to be confused with the voodoo in New Orleans there. <laughs> voodoo Mama Juju. Voodoo Bottom of Juju. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In uh, so. World of Warcraft, the trolls, uh, with the NPCs, when you click on them every once in a while, they'll say, stay away from the voodoo. <laughs> and I had uh, cool. I had taken, um, oh, gosh, twice now. My uh, So there was a time when I went to the hospital with my with my now ex-wife, and her doctor's name was Dr. Davoodie. And I couldn't stop saying stay away from the voodoo uh, because of it. So funny. There you go. I'll never forget. I, I couldn't tell you any other doctor I've ever had in my entire life. But I and this person wasn't even my doctor. It was someone else's. But because of that, I remember. Well, yeah, I'm um, I'm very happy we watched a Hitchcock film. I am going to deep dive into a lot of his other movies now. I know it's just one of those things that being a cinephile, I, I can't believe I put off until now. But uh, yeah, what kind of yeah. cinephile hasn't even not seen no Hitchcock movies before? I've just been busy d- eating malts every day, man. Sorry. Yeah. My fingers are too malty. <laughs> I think there's some on, on HBO Max. Yeah. Uh, North by Northwest is on there. And I think Dial M for Murder is on there, which is Oh, very so it's 39 Steps, which is. Oh, is it? Yeah, that's the the number one. Okay. 
from Dwight well, number one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So North by Northwest, 39 steps. Uh, the lady vanishes. The man who knew too much. Foreign correspondent. Young and innocent. Sabotage. The Lodger. A story of the London Fog. Ooh, I had a jacket by London Fog once. It was plaid. So did I. No big yeah. deal. <laughs> I got mine from like Macy's or something like that. Nice. I have mine <laughs> in a photo going on to Alcatraz. Ooh. I got stopped getting off the little ferry boat, and this guy's like, "Hey, can I take your picture?" I'm like, "Mom, a dad, a man wants to take a picture of me," and then, and then we got charged like seven dollars for the photograph. But my mom still has it. Was it Ed Harris who took a picture of you? And he's it like, "Get off the island." <laughs> yeah, this is Brigadier General Francis X. Hummel from the United States Marine Corps from Alcatraz. Out. I cannot give that order. <laughs> <laughs> you see. You're saying no, <laughs> but the goal here is to say yes. That that's 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 how you become a successful salesperson. Don't don't find ways to say no. Look for ways to say yes. There you go. All right, man. You you uh you take us home there. I can do that. Thank you for listening to another fun and festive episode of Don't Be Crazy. It's a lot of fun, you know, we talk about the movies there, and we have a good time, and in this case, it was Alfred Hitchcock, and it was a lot of fun. I'm glad it was Rear Window. If it couldn't be Psycho, I'm glad it was Rear Window. Uh, remember to follow us on the Twitter there, at DBCrazyPod, at ZachDale60, and at EntiArmo. A lot of fun to be had there when you follow us. Uh, of course, if you're a leader, I'll follow you. No, no big deal. I, don't, I won't take it personal. Uh, also, check out some other amazing podcasts. We have the Geek Legacy Podcast, hosted by Dave Edmondson, Randy Van Dyke, and myself, where we talk about everything that's happening in the world of entertainment news. Lots of fun to be had. And then you also have the Pixelated Podcast, hosted by Stephen K. Jaynes, where he talks about the video games. And it's great. Follow at Geek Legacy and at Pixelated Pod as well. Uh, thank you for being amazing, and you have yourself a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Yeah.